You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. Any talk of nonviolence, it has to include an in-depth understanding of, of structural and systemic violence and oppression that, that's being engaged in by the, the status quo. In other words, you can't just call those who are being oppressed to be nonviolent while the oppressors are free to use violence. Or, or nonviolence ends up being a, a violent form of nonviolence. It's a violent nonviolence. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 236 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. As we say each week, this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish uh, Galilean prophet of the poor uh, might have to offer us today in our work of resistance, survival, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Um, I've got a cold this week, as you can hear in my voice. I want to apologize to all you listeners in advance. I'm I'm on my way out of town this morning, actually out of out of the country for a, a, a ten day trip where I'll be speaking, and uh, uh, I just wanted to try to get this out to you before I left. But uh, uh, my voice sounds horrible this morning, so I am truly sorry. But thank you. Regardless of uh, for checking in with us this week, um, our, our saying this week is the son of humanity like lightning, and it's it's from the Q scholarship, Sayings Gospel Q seventeen twenty three through twenty four. If they say to you, "Look, he's in the wilderness," do not go out. Look, he is indoors. Do not follow. For as the lightning streaks out from sunrise and flashes as far as sunset so will be the Son of Man on his day. Our companion texts are Matthew 24, 26 through 27. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Luke 17, 23 through 24, people will tell you there he is or here he is. Do not go running at, uh, off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. And Gospel of Thomas 3, 1 through 2, Jesus says, If those who lead you say to you, Look, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say to you, It is in the sea, then the fishes will precede you. So our saying this week is connected to the last two statements about Jesus's vision for a, a Jewish future without an exploitative temple state. And, and you can go back and listen to the last two podcasts to get the context on this. But in Jesus's day, the temple state um, exploited the vulnerable and, and, and Messiah movements promoted a temple reform. And these movements that, that, that grew in Galilee and Judea, they depended largely on violent liberation efforts that, that Jesus believed, as we're going to see, uh, were, were, were suicidal. We actually talked about that last week, too. So, so if those of you who have listened to it, we've already uh, evidenced that. But, but they were suicidal, and because of Rome's violence, um, they were ultimately catastrophic for those who engaged them. So there's two parts. First of all, Jesus wasn't teaching uh, temple reform, but a future without a temple. And he was teaching a, a, a liberation not rooted in, in the violence of the, the Messiah movements of his day. And as we read last week, the Messiah figures of, of these movements, they implored the people to, to act first in faith and then Yahweh would reveal a sign of confirmation. And Josephus gives us example after example of followers who, who did go out into the wilderness with these charismatic leaders expecting a, a sign, 
But instead, what they ended up finding was annihilation at the hands of the Roman Empire. And again, we discussed some of these examples in last week's podcast, and you can go back and re-listen to all of that. But before we, we launch into examples of these types of movements that Jesus was warning his followers not to follow, I, I want to share a brief word about Jesus's vision for, for this Jewish future without a temple state. And long before Jesus, there was a, a Jewish thread of no sacrifice in their religious tradition. In Hosea 6, 6, it says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And Isaiah 1, 11 through 12, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and of the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this of your hand? Psalms 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Uh, Jeremiah 7.22, For in the day that I brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to them or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so Jesus, he embraced this Jewish strand uh, within his own tradition, in his own teachings. In Matthew 9.13, uh, he, he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And in Matthew 12.7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And after the devastating experiences of, of the Jewish people in the first century, there were some rabbis who embraced uh, this, this future without sacrifice, this, this future without temple or violence. And Karen Armstrong, she shares one of my favorite passages in her book. She shares a beautiful passage in, in, in The Great Transformation, The Beginnings of Our Religious Traditions. This is from page 454 uh, through 455. She writes, The golden rule, compassion, and loving kindness were central to this new Judaism. By the time the temple had been destroyed, some of the Pharisees already understood that they did not need a temple to worship God, as this Talmudic story makes clear. It happened that two rabbis went out from Jerusalem. Rabbi Joshua followed and saw the burnt ruins of the temple, and he said, Woe is it that the place where the sins of Israel find atonement is laid waste. Then said Rabbi Johanan, Grieve not, for we have an atonement, atonement equal to the temple the doing of loving deeds. As it is said, I desire love and not sacrifice. Kindness was the key to the future. Jews must turn away from the violence and the divisiveness of the war years and create a united community with one body and one soul. When the community was integrated in love and mutual respect, God was with them. But when they quarreled with one another, he returned to heaven where the angels chanted with one voice and with one melody, where two or three Jews uh, sat and studied harmoniously together. The divine presence sat in their midst. Rabbi Akiba, who was killed by the Romans in 132 CE, taught that the commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, was the great principle of the Torah. To show disrespect to any human being who had been created in God's image was seen by the rabbis as a denial of God himself and tantamount to atheism. Murder was sacrilege. Scripture instructs us that whatsoever sheds human blood is regarded as if he had diminished the divine image. God had created only one man in the beginning of time to teach us that destroying only one human life was equivalent to annihilating the entire world, while to save a life 
redeem the whole of humanity. To humiliate anybody, even a slave or a non-Jew, was equivalent to murder, a sacrilegious defacing of God's image. To spread a scandalous lying story about another person was to deny the existence of God. Religion was inseparable from the practice of habitual respect to all other human beings. You could not worship God unless you practiced the golden rule and honored your fellow humans whoever they were. So the three examples of this kind of liberation effort that that Jesus warned his followers about going into the wilderness to meet, which which ended in the most severe failures in the first century, um, three of those examples were were Judas's rebellion, uh, the Jewish Roman War, and the Bar Kochba revolt. The, the, let's, let's look at the Judas Rebellion first. It took place during the reign of Augustus while uh, Varus was the Roman governor in Syria. And you can read Josephus's account in his, his Jewish antiquities, and I'll give you a reference to that uh, in, in this week's Esite. But, but as a result of, of this rebellion, 2,000 Jewish people were crucified in, in Jerusalem alone. In Galilee, uh, Varus turned over part of his army to his son and, and, and to one of his friends. And they sent it's, Josephus says he sent them out to fight against the Galileans. And his son, it says, attacked all who opposed him and routed them. And after capturing Sephorus, he reduced its inhabitants to slavery and burnt the city. Now, now archaeology tells a slightly different version of this event. There's no evidence of, of burning, for example. But 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 it, archaeology does confirm that the devastation that resulted for the people was 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 significant. And the next war was even worse. The destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 CE after the Roman-Jewish War uh, under Nero that lasted from 66 to, to 69. During this time, the Roman legion in Syria was uh, Cestius Gallus. And not only was Jerusalem raised by Titus, one of Cestius's columns, but, but they also killed some 2,000 rebels in, in Galilee as well. And, and lastly, in the, the bar Kachoba revolt, uh, which is commonly called the Third Jewish Revolt. It, it was met with such violence by Rome that it actually it marks the last attempt at liberation by the Jewish people from, from Roman oppression. And according to Cassius Dio, 580,000 Jews perished in this war. And, and many more that didn't die from the war died from hunger and disease. And, and many Judeans were... were uh, made captives they were sold into slavery and the jewish communities of judea were they were devastated to to an extent that that some scholars describe uh, the the result as genocidal jesus's nonviolent liberation movement belonged to a a different family of first century resistance movements and two examples of the resistance uh, this this nonviolent resistance family that that Jesus's movement would have would have uh, resonated with were uh, the, the the standards or the ensigns incident in 26 CE and the temple episode over the statue of Gaius Caligula in 40 CE and and I'm going to read you a little bit about both the, these are both from Josephus um, he writes about uh, both of these cases of of nonviolent cooperation and and first we'll start with the standards incident yeah, he writes as 
procurator of Judea, Tiberius sent Pilate, who during the night, secretly and undercover, conveyed to Jerusalem, conveyed to Jerusalem the images of Caesar known as standards. When the day dawned, this caused great excitement among the Jews, for those who were near were amazed at the sight, which meant that their laws had been trampled on. They do not permit any graven image to be set up in the city, and the angry city mob was joined by a huge influx of people from the country. They rushed off to Pilate and Caesarea and begged him to remove the standards from Jerusalem and to respect their ancient customs. When Pilate refused, they fell prone all around his house and remained motionless for five days and five nights. Talk about a protest. They, they shut it down. And it says, The next day Pilate took his seat on the tribunal in the great stadium and subbed the mob on the pretext that he was ready to give them an answer. Instead, he gave them a prearranged, he gave a prearranged signal to the soldiers to surround the Jews in full armor and the troops formed a, a ring three deep. The Jews were dumbfounded and the unex, at the unexpected sight but Pilate declared that he would cut them to pieces unless they accepted the images of the Caesar, nodding to the soldiers to bear their swords. At this time, as though by agreement, the Jews fell to the ground in a body and bent their necks, shouting that they were ready to be killed rather than transgress the law. Amazed at the intensity of their religious fervor, Pilate ordered the standards to be removed from Jerusalem forthwith. And that's, uh, again, his... his uh, Jewish Roman War uh, to 175 through 203, we can find uh, that story. But but let's consider the incident with with the statue of Caligula too. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of Jews came to Petronius at Ptolemais with petitions not to use force to make them transgress and violate their ancient code, ancestral code. They said, if you propose at all costs to set up the image, slay us first before you carry out these resolutions, for it is not possible for us to survive and behold actions that are forbidden us by the decisions both of our lawgiver and of our ancestors. In order to preserve our ancestral code, we shall patiently endure what may be in store for us, for God will stand by us. Petronius saw that they were determined that it should be impossible to carry out Gaius's order without great conflict and slaughter. He went to Tiberias to determine the situation of the Jews there. Again, many tens of thousands faced Petronius on his arrival. They besought him to not put up the statue. Will you then go to war with Caesar regardless of his resources and his own and your own weakness? He asked. On no account would we fight, they said, but we will die sooner than violate our laws. And falling on their faces and baring their throats, they declared that they were ready to be slain. They continued to make these supplications for 40 days. Furthermore, they neglected their fields, even though this was the time to sow the seed. For they showed a stubborn determination and readiness to die, rather than see the image erected. Then members of the royal family and the civic leaders appealed to Petronius to refrain from the plan and instead to write Gaius telling how incurable was their opposition to receiving the statue and how they had left their fields to sit as a protest and what and that they did not choose war since they could not fight a war but would be glad to die sooner than transgress their customs and that since the land was unsown there would be no harvest and no tribute they brought pressure to bear upon him in every way and employed every device to make their plea effective Petronius was influenced by their plea and saw the stubborn determination of the Jews and thought it would be terrible to bring death on so many tens of thousands of people he thought it best to risk sending a letter to Gaius perhaps 
he might even convince him to cancel the order. If not, he would undertake war against the Jews, and thus Petronius decided to recognize the cogency of the plea of the petitioners. That's in Josephus's Antiquities, um, volume 18, pages 261 through uh, 309. And Philo also writes of, of the statue incident, and I'll, I'll give you a reference to his statements as well, but he writes, when the Jews at large got to know of the scheme, they staged mass demonstrations of protest before Petronius, who by then was in Phoenicia with his army. So it was in nonviolent resistance movements such as these that, that Jesus saw the best chances at resistance and surviving such attempts. And this is this is the context of this week's saying about not following after other more violent Messiah movements. There, there were options back then. And Jesus, again, he embraced a vision for human society without a temple. And early Jesus followers, they associated Jesus's movement with the, the image of the Son of Humanity in, in an earlier Jewish liberation text, Daniel 7. And in that vision, violent predator beasts that symbolized Gentile world empires subjugating the Hebrew people, they're removed and they're replaced by the Hebrew hope of, of liberation. And, and, and all violence, all justice and oppression in the world, they believed would be put right eventually. And over 80 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as Daniel's son of humanity. In Mark 14, 16, just one example, it says, I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. And that's just one example of the 80. So, so what Jesus did was he turned this image in Daniel 7 on its head. He, he, the, the change that, that in Daniel 7 came through, through the violent overturning of violent beasts, this violent imagery in Daniel 7, he turned it on its head and said that this change would come through nonviolence instead. Jesus' vision for humanity was was not like the other movements that that went into the wilderness and wanted to be a a, a source of light in the world or liberation, but but in the end they only added more darkness, darkness to the darkness, violence to the violence. And Jesus's vision for humanity was a a movement that would light up the darkness, the the darkness of oppression, and 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 in our world it would light it up as 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 lightning lights up the night sky from the east to the west. His vision was that his followers would be a a source of light in the darkness of domination, oppression, and marginalization, and and ex exploitation, and that, that his followers would not add more darkness to the world. As, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. so eloquently stated, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's from King's sermon, Loving Your Enemies, in 1957. And, and it's also from his uh, book, in uh, Strength to Love, in 1963. But I, I do want to say a word of caution about nonviolence before we wrap up. I subscribe to nonviolence, and I want to say that first and foremost. I teach it. But nonviolence is also used by the status quo to keep people subjugated, to be of value to the oppressed. Nonviolence must be liberatory. It must lead to liberation. If nonviolence is held as the highest value and liberation is secondary, um, as if non being nonviolent is the most important thing, then nonviolence can be co-opted to, and it can be used to keep people in oppression, oppress people from, from ever achieving their, their liberation. And any talk of nonviolence 
today, it has to include an in-depth understanding of, of structural and systemic violence and oppression that's being engaged in by the, the status quo. In other words, you can't just call those who are being oppressed to be nonviolent while the oppressors are free to use violence. Or nonviolence ends up being a a violent form of nonviolence. It's a violent nonviolence. And, and it will place upon oppressed people an additional burden to, to remain nonviolent while the status quo preaches nonviolence to them and simultaneously ignores the, the violent system that they're living in. Jesus's nonviolence was also rooted not only in liberation, but also in survival. Jesus' opposition to the use of violence in the liberation movements of his day it, it was deeply informed by Rome's heavy response that, that made such movements not only futile, uh, but lethal. When deciding whether violence or nonviolence will, will be the means whereby we strive for liberation, um, I, I think we have to consider both the success and failure rates of violence and nonviolence. And what I mean by that is that, that both violence and nonviolence at times succeed, and, and, and both uh, violence and nonviolence at times, they both fail. But when violent liberation efforts fail, the result can be catastrophic, so much more than when nonviolent efforts fail. And, and I'll address this. We're going to talk about this much further in next week's saying when we talk about the circling vultures. But, but for now, whether we choose violent resistance or nonviolent resistance, we have to consider nonviolence from the viewpoint of the oppressed rather than from the vantage point of the privileged. And we have to ask how nonviolence will affect the oppressed's liberation work. Will, will, it, will it move them towards liberation? Or is it being used by oppressors just to keep them subjugated? And again, we'll dive into this much more deeply next week. And, and I'll close this week with a word from James Douglas on how this imagery of lightning lighting up the, the sky from the east to the west how we could use that language today. In his book by the same title, Lightning East to West, Jesus, Gandhi, and the Nuclear Age, James warns of a, another type of lightning that threatens to, to end our world, um, our world as we know it, and that's the, the threat of nuclear war. Lightning East to West can be adopted as the image of our end time. We live in the final time that offers human, humans the clearest choice in history. The kingdom or Holocaust? Either either end is lightning east to west, the nuclear holocaust of lightning fire, or the kingdom reality, a lightning spirit. Whoever believes in Jesus' way deeply enough, a way of life and death, which is a way of seeking an objective love force in history, will perform the same works as he did, and even greater works, which are absolutely necessary today for the continuation of human history. Every living person is capable, through a particular process, of creating the conditions for the expression of an objective love force in history, a power of reality beyond any of us, which can raise humankind from the global death of our end time. And again, that's from his book, Lightning East to West, Jesus, Gandhi, and the Nuclear Age, page 17 through 23. So the choice is ours. Which type of, of lighting up the darkness are we going to choose? Will we be a, a source of genuine light in our, in our world's darkness of oppression and exploitation? 
or will we choose what Douglas calls a blinding light that actually results in greater darkness for us all? James Douglas does offer hope. He say, he asks this question, how does one live at the at what is potentially the end of the world? He answers by beginning a new one. And that's our choice this week. How can we uh, begin uh, a new world, a world that's centered in the vision that Jesus had for, for human society. Sings Gospel Q 17, 23 through 24. If they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Look, he is indoors, do not follow. For as the lightning streaks out from sunrise and flashes as far as sunset, so will be the Son of Man on his day. Heart group application this week. The holiday season is upon us, and whichever holiday you choose to celebrate at this time of year, this is a, a time where we can choose to, to replace the values of individualism and consumerism and capitalism with community, with, with mutual care, and with sharing your extra with those who, who have less. And so this week, number one, as a group, take inventory of some of the things or some of the services that, that you have the ability to share with those who have less during this holiday season. Number two, um, make a list of, of who you'd like your heart group to share with during this holiday season. And then number three, it's really simple, combine the two lists. Put this season of of caring and sharing in motion in, in the coming weeks and share what you have extra with those you deem to uh, have less. Uh, th- th- thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are, keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. And uh, again, uh, I'll be back in about 10 days. Um, we'll have another podcast before Christmas, I'm sure. Um, I'm, I'm leaving the country. I'm going to be down in the Caribbean. One day I'll be spending in Puerto Rico even, um, and I'll be speaking each evening and, and be doing some projects during the day. But uh, it matters right now more than ever which values we choose to embrace and which values we choose to live out. So till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns, uh, keep living in love. Keep keep uh, loving one another and living out that, that liberation. Happy holidays to each one of you. I'll see you as soon as I get back from my trip. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.